Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You really want to be taking a proactive approach throughout the year, making sure that you're implementing the right strategies, making sure that you're taking the right actions that will give you those favorable results come year end and ultimately reduce your tax liability it's that time of year again tax season dun, dun, dun. how are you doing on tax season how's that treating you so far well if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of are you optimizing for new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean, this is the ultimate rental property tax guide and you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes get that ultimate rental property tax guide best ever listeners how you doing welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm joe fairless this is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever and we don't get into any of that fluffy stuff and first off i hope you're having a best ever weekend because today is saturday we got a special segment for you called situation saturday and here is the situation it's tax time, and you've got to put together your tax returns, or your CPA has to put together your tax returns. And, well, you've got to figure out what is it with these new tax cuts and job acts law that you can do, or what is it about that that you can use to benefit you as a real estate investor? 
And let's get some clarity on that. So this will be a one-stop shop conversation for you, best ever listeners, as you navigate that. And even if you don't do your own taxes, it's important to be educated on this topic so that you can look for your CPA or make sure your CPA is maximizing the deductions and the benefits that you have as a real estate investor. So with us today, we got a, a dynamic duo. We got Devin Redman, head of customer success at Stessa, who is, as you probably know, best ever listeners, a sponsor of this podcast. And also Thomas Castelli, who's a CPA and tax strategist at the Real Estate CPA. So first off, welcome Devin and Thomas. How are you two doing? Great. Thanks for having us. Great. Same here. Well, good. Glad to hear that. And it's my pleasure. So a little bit about Devin and Thomas. First, Devin Redmond, head of customer success at Stessa, former commercial real estate pro and investor, and their company, Stessa.com. You can go check that out, and you know all about Stessa because you're a loyal best ever listener based in San Francisco, California. And then Thomas Castelli, CPA and tax strategist at the Real Estate CPA. He's a real estate investor who passively invests, and then most recently, is an active investor on an 82-unit apartment community. So learning from someone who is an expert in tax strategy and who also invests actively in deals, which is very helpful because he's going to come at it from a different perspective than someone who's just an academic person in this field. But he's based in New York City. So before we get into it, can you both tell us a little bit more about your backgrounds and how you got into real estate investing? Sure. This is Devin. I'll get started. As Joe mentioned, I'm currently head of customer success at Stessa. We're a free software platform for rental property investors to track income and expenses and, and run key reports. I got started in real estate actually as a tenant rep broker in LA. So on the commercial side, I spent my days driving around LA with clients, helping them find office space, negotiate deals, and then worked for a big owner developer in the Bay Area. That was mostly office and R&D deals. I did acquisitions and asset management for them. And this was kind of 2007 through the downturn. So it was a huge learning experience for me. Very quickly, I learned that the pro forma goes out the window when <laughs> cap rates are going up and the national economy is hurting. And I spent most days renegotiating leases with tenants, trying to cut operating expenses, and trying to run our portfolio as lean as possible. Another thing I learned there was that institutional investors have a pretty sophisticated way of running the numbers, and we built a lot of very complicated financial models, and that's something I try to bring to my job at Stessa every day, where we want to make it easy for rental property investors, but we also want people with larger portfolios to be able to run the sophisticated type of reports that they need to understand what's going on with their investments. Real quick question on that. In terms of the sophisticated way of running the numbers, what's an example of that compared to what a beginning investor might use or do when they're running the numbers? So one example, like a beginning investor gets set up on QuickBooks or, or Quicken Rental Property Manager, right? And that's fine for running a sort of general income statement. And it kind of shows you how much money you're making at the end of the year. Our reporting with Sessa, you can run both an income statement and a net cash flow report. And the net cash flow report breaks down principal versus interest versus your escrow accounts. It'll even show you what your debt service coverage ratio is. Mm. So you can get a sense for how you're doing compared to what your debt service is every month. So that's just one example. And do you all have ways to interpret a net cash flow statement for 
investors who come into your platform and like, oh, well, this looks like something I should do. And then they see it and they're like, well, how, how do I actually read this and how, how do I interpret these numbers? We have a pretty good support center with a lot of help articles that kind of help you figure out what you're looking at. One of the things I spend a lot of time thinking about is as newer investors come into our platform, how do we make it simple enough for them to get started mm-hmm. and then sort of guide them through and show them, okay, these are the reports you should be running. These are the numbers that really matter. And then this is how you can feed it back into your operations. This is how you can look across the months laid out the income statement and see, okay, where are utilities fluctuating too much? Where are they maybe out of range? And we're actually trying to get much smarter about identifying those opportunities for people and then sort of bubbling them up in the software so that you don't have to go hunting in the statement to find it. And Thomas, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. So I went to school for business and accounting. And during that time, I started reading the Rich Dad Poor Dad books. And as I started to go down that rabbit hole, I just kept noticing that real estate was a common theme for building wealth. So I started going to a bunch of networking events. And at this one event, I met a group that was doing a seminar on real estate syndication. Went to that seminar and really at that point was pivotal because I fell in love with real estate syndication. Also met someone who would become my future mentor. And from there, I invested in a bunch of deals with him as a passive investor. And then that ultimately boiled up to participating in a syndication of an A2 unit property as a general partner. And then right around the time that deal was closed, I came across the real estate CPA and really found that it was a great blend of my passion for real estate investing and accounting background. So I joined the team as a tax strategist and now provide tax strategy and planning to investors of all sizes, people from one single family rental to portfolios, single family rentals, multifamily investors, syndicators, among other groups. And that's where I am today. What was your role as a general partner on the 82 unit deal? I worked mainly on the acquisition side of it. So I ended up making a lot of phone calls to brokers and developing a relationship with a broker who eventually sent me a good deal out of a handful. (laughs) And from there, I ended up negotiating much of the agreement. And then I helped out with due diligence. And from there, we had two asset managers who are the primary asset managers on it. But uh, I'm still on the property management calls and keeping a pulse on the deal day to day. Well, not day to day, but week to week, rather. I imagine you're a good resource for the team from doing checks and balances on the books as well. Yeah, I take a look at the books every once in a while just to make sure that everything's flowing smoothly. But we actually have an accountant who works on that. So we're pretty much covered on that end. So let's transition into taxes and the primary focus of our conversation today. So I imagine this is going to be for Thomas. What are some key things that all real estate investors should be doing in preparation for taxes? When it comes to taxes, the first thing is keeping good records. And Cessa definitely helps you do that. But at the end of the day, when you're going to file taxes come year end, if you don't have your stuff organized, it's going to be a nightmare pulling receipts out of shoeboxes and trying to get everything into your accounting system and going back and retroactively trying to remember what transaction this was for, what expense this was for. So really going into tax season with your books up to date and having everything organized is key. But also at the same time, a lot of people come to think that taxes is just something you deal with once a year around tax filing season in January or April. And the reality of the situation is when you file your taxes at the end of the year, you're simply reporting your income and expenses, your results from the activities that you did in the year prior. 
And once that year ends, your results are pretty much set in stone. There's, of course, some flexibility and some things you can do during that time to reduce your tax liability after the year ends. But you really want to be taking a proactive approach throughout the year, making sure that you're implementing the right strategies, making sure that you're taking the right actions that will give you those favorable results come year end and ultimately reduce your tax liability. Is there anything you can do after the year's over to retroactively influence what you did during that calendar year? Yeah, there's a few things. You could uh, contribute to retirement accounts. You can engage in cost segregation studies. Those are pretty much some of the top things you can do during that time, simply because at the end of the day, you spent what you spent, you earn what you earn type of thing, right? And you went about the way you did your business throughout the year in a certain way. And that's already set in stone. But cost segregation studies probably for real estate investors, probably the biggest thing you can do after the year end to affect your tax liability. So one other clarification question, and then I'd like to ask about some tax strategies you see investors missing. But when you say keeping good records, making sure your books are up to date, will you be specific on what exactly good record keeping is? Yeah, Devin, you want to take that one? Yeah, I can chime in. I met with a lot of investors, especially in the early days of building Stessa and trying to figure out what does your process look like across hundreds of investors. And I found it really kind of broke down into two buckets. There's the people who are on top of things, keeping track of everything monthly. A lot of them using Google Sheets. A lot of them use Stessa now. And they're kind of closing out the month. And they always kind of know how they're doing. And then once they close out December, they're kind of ready for tax time. And then there, as Thomas mentioned, there's this other bucket of people who really kind of come up for air once a year, get everything ready. They've got a bunch of back and forth going on with their CPA. They're wrangling receipts. And that's a tough spot to be in. So from our perspective, good record keeping is obviously knowing where each expense goes into what category, and then staying on top of your tenants as well, and knowing who's late and making sure you're collecting all your income. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we take a look at the tax strategies that we should be employing, I imagine this is going to be for Thomas, what things do you see investors missing on a regular basis that are low-hanging fruit that they should not be missing? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not always a tax strategy necessarily that they're missing. Sometimes it's just deductions. Sometimes people think that simply by not taking the depreciation deduction, that they'll avoid depreciation recapture tax upon sale. And for those who don't know, depreciation recapture is a tax up to 25% on the portion of your gain that's attributable to the amount of depreciation you took over the time you owned the property. So sometimes they decide to omit or not take the depreciation in hopes to avoid that. But the reality is the IRS was going to assume that you took the depreciation and then recapture it anyway when you sell. So, but what, if you, what if you didn't and their assumption is incorrect? Do you then get that money back? No, you have to take it. So basically take your depreciation deductions. <laughs> don't, don't miss but, it. But Thomas, if in the past you didn't take the depreciation, you can file amended returns and recover that, right? Correct. You can do that. You just have to go back then and amend your returns. The bottom line is you just want to make sure you're taking depreciation deductions each year and just be proactive about doing it, making sure you're also maximizing the depreciation through cost seg. But yeah, just make sure you're taking depreciation. And in other strategies we see people missing is not taking advantage of a home office. When you have a rental business, often you could take a home office deduction, which not only reduces your taxes, but it makes your home a place of business. And when your home is a place of business, your commute 
to other business locations, such as the bank, such as your rental properties, meeting with a broker, going to Lowe's to pick up supplies for your rental business, these trips all become tax deductible. And the standard mileage deduction in 2019 is 58 cents per mile. So if you drive a lot for your rental business, especially when you work from home in that type of situation, you definitely don't want to miss out on that combo of having a home office and also taking those mileage deductions. Okay. Fact or fiction, when you put a home office on your tax returns, it increases your likelihood of being audited. That these days is more or less considered fiction. What happens is a lot of people who do have a home office often have Schedule C, which for an active trader business. So Schedule C is actually the most audited part of Form 1040, which is your individual tax return. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions that because you have the home office in and of itself is really the trigger for increased audits. But in reality, it's just the fact that most people who do have home offices have Schedule C which might not be the case for a lot of real estate investors because rental real estate is filed on Schedule E of your tax return. Let's talk about the 20% tax deduction. What is it? How does it work? And what do people need to know? I could take that one. So 20% QBI deduction, the qualified business income deduction, is a deduction that allows you to take 20% of your business income, a deduction of 20% right off the top of your business income. If you're single and you're making less than $157,500, or if you're married, it's $315,000. Above those thresholds, you still may receive a partial deduction. It's usually going to be less than 20%. And the calculation to get there is super complicated. We won't go into that today. But one of the things for landlords that was up in the air was whether or not your rental business will actually qualify as a trader business for the purposes of this deduction. And The IRS recently released a safe harbor that clarifies that and says, if you meet the safe harbor, you will qualify as a trader business for the purposes of this deduction. So quickly going through what that is, to qualify, you need to meet the following criteria. The property has to be held through your personal name or through a disregarded entity or another pass-through entity, such as a partnership. Like an LLC. Like an LLC. A single member LLC would count. Commercial and residential real estate may not be part of the same enterprise. So you have to keep separate businesses for your commercial activity and your residential activity. You also have to keep separate books and records for each enterprise. So an enterprise can consist of multiple properties as long as they're all commercial or all residential. You'll also have to spend, not you specifically, but 250 hours of rental services must be performed in that enterprise for the year. And you also have to maintain records that include the hours of those services performed description of the services performed, the dates in which the services performed, and who performed them. Now, the good news is you don't, as the owner, have to specifically do all the work. Those hours will also count if your employees, agents, or contractors do it. So all the hours worked by those folks will also count towards that 250. And the last thing to note there is that it must be rental services. And that includes advertising for rent, negotiating leases, reviewing tenant applications, collection of rent, daily operation and maintenance of the property, things like financing and reviewing financial statements do not count toward those 250 hours. How is the IRS defining residential? Because I'm wondering if that includes multifamily or if that's just like one to four units. There's often some confusion in that because brokers consider five plus units to be commercial and one to four to be residential. But for the IRS, the purpose of if it's 
single family or it's multifamily, it's residential. Okay. If anything, is there anything else that real estate investors should know when it comes to their taxes that we haven't talked about? And I know that's a broad question, so maybe some top of mind things. I can weigh in on that. We see a lot of our investors doing 1031 exchanges, so we haven't talked about that much. But the sort of special treatment under the IRS is very powerful. And over time, it's one of the best ways to create wealth. And it's a long-term strategy, something you stick with through ups and downs and cycles and cap rates. And even with the new opportunity zone designations that are also open to deferred capital gains, my read on that is that 1031 is still the best strategy if you're committed to real estate in the long run. Thomas, you may want to weigh in on that as well. Absolutely. So 1031s are a great strategy. And ultimately, what it allows you to do is allows you to continually defer the capital gains upon sale of a property, assuming you invest the entire sales proceeds into a new property. And you can do this over and over and over again throughout your life. And in theory, albeit it is harder to do in practice, you cannot pay any capital gains on the sale of any of your properties throughout your life. And then later, when you pass away and you leave the properties to your heirs, they'll receive it at what's called a stepped-up basis, which is the fair market value of the property at the date of your death. And it will eliminate all the capital gains that you should have took throughout your lifetime when they receive it. So definitely a powerful strategy. And also something else to throw in there, something else that people sometimes overlook, is the power of the combination of the real estate professional status and the cost segregation. Before we get into that, we just elaborate a little bit on when you die after 1031ing your whole life. You said your heirs get the property at a stepped-up basis, which effectively eliminates. Will you just repeat that and just elaborate on it? Yes. So what happens is when you do a 1031 exchange, your basis in that property decreases after each exchange because your appreciable basis, that is, because just the dynamics of the way the exchange works, you're going to end up having very large capital gains at some point if you fail to do a 1031 exchange. But what happens is your heirs get it. Their basis in that property goes from that very low basis that that you had to its fair market value. So let's just say, for instance, throughout your lifetime, you did several 1031 exchanges and the building you have now is worth, say, $2 million. Your basis in that property might only be 200,000. So if you were to sell it- Because you started with a smaller property? Yeah, because basically you started with that smaller property and that basis just continued to roll over Okay. after multiple exchanges. So you might get to the end of the line, if you will, and say, (laughs) I have a $2 million property, but my basis is so low because of the original property I started with. So you might have a huge capital gain of, say, in this instance, 1.8 million- And when your heirs receive it, your basis goes from that $200,000 mark to $2 million. So they receive it at $2 million. So if they were to sell it, usually shortly after you pass away, they're going to pay little to no taxes. Now, if they were to hold it, now they're going to eventually have to pay capital gains on that fair market value when you die and the fair market value when they sell. But it's going to be significantly less than it would be if you were to fail to do a 1031 exchange and have to recognize that gain throughout your lifetime. Why does the IRS do it that way? That's a good question. You know what it is? There's just a ton of tax advantages for real estate because one of the things the IRS does is Treasury or Congress, rather, they want to keep as much stuff in the private sector as possible. And by offering these advantages to real estate investors, real estate investors will build properties and develop properties and 
participate in the real, real estate activities and provide housing to for the population of America without the government having to take that on as a public project, if you will. Sorry, I interrupted you just a little bit ago. What was the other thing you're going to mention? Oh, yeah. So the real estate professional status. So if you work full time in real estate, you could essentially elect to be treated as a real estate professional for tax purposes, which allows you to take the losses from your rental real estate against your ordinary or active income. So what you can do is you can buy a bunch of properties. You can have a cost segregation study performed, which is simply a breakdown of the components of your property into their individual class lives, which range anywhere from 5, 7, 15 to 27.5 years. And generally between 20 and 30% of the property can be broken down to that 5, 7, 15 year mark, which is not only depreciated over a shorter period of time, but can also be accelerated, increasing your depreciation deduction. And now with 100% bonus depreciation, that 5, 7, and 15 year property can actually be depreciated in full in that first year you purchased that property, which would give you a massive loss. And that loss as a real estate professional can be used against your active income, whether it be from you or your spouse. You two put together a tax guide and a bunch of resources to help the best ever listeners. Where can the listeners find the tax guide and resources you two put together? You can find that at www.stessa.com slash taxes. All of our existing users have gotten a free copy of that. You do need to sign up for an account, but it's pretty quick and easy. And then we'll give you the PDF. And there's also a separate document with the 11 top tax deductions for real estate investors. Excellent. Well, Devin and Thomas, thank you so much for being on the show. I learned a lot, especially the reinforcement of the 1031 and the stepped up basis. That's really powerful stuff. I have spoken to some investors and they mentioned it's 1031 is like kicking a can down the road. You're eventually going to have to pony up, but not so much. When you die, your heirs don't have to. And that's very powerful as well as other tips and things that you two talked about. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever weekend. And Thomas, how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on as well? They can head on over to therealestatecpa.com. On there, we have a blog. We also have a podcast, The Real Estate CPA Podcast. Joe is actually one of our first guests. Includes a lot of great tax strategies and other information regarding accounting taxes. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show, you two. Hope you have a best ever weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account. The account's free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N dot com forward slash show.